are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Over these last 40 days, I've been challenging you to adopt or add certain practices to your life. Knowing that we can't change our own hearts or transform ourselves, only God can change us. But we place ourselves before God with these practices. And so, I'm hearing stories like one guy said, I have not missed a Sunday in the series. It's the most I've gone to church in years. And every morning I make Sunday about God. Uh, Every Sunday morning I make it about God. Some of you are finding ways to have one-on-one time with God every day. And I'm hearing your stories. Many of you have gotten into a small group on a weekly basis. Um, One guy said to me the other day, he says, you know, I go to a small group pastor during this series. And we have a pastor in our group. And the other night before we left our group, our pastor started praying for people, anointing people. And we all were praying for one another. We're all hugging. We're all crying. And I just stood there watching all of this take place. And I said, man, this is the kind of community that the pastor really wants us to have. Many of you are finding places to serve. Many of you are becoming more generous with the resources God has given you. And many of you are finding ways to share your faith. It's an exciting time for us. So this morning, we're going to talk about what it means to live generously in terms of our resources, sharing our resources. Jesus one day says, you cannot, it's impossible to serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's what will happen if you try. You will love one and you will despise the other. Or you will despise the one and love the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so here's what happens to us. We say, okay, if you can't serve both God and money, what about a person who chooses to let God be the master of their lives? So I'm going to serve God. So when I make that decision, then who takes care of my daily needs? Feeding me, clothing me, etc.? And so Jesus addresses that. Let me tell you a quick story. I have an uncle, his name is Marvin, a cousin rather, his name is Marvin. He's a little bit older than me. When he was 52 years old, he turns to Jesus for the first time in his life. He had made a lot of money. He had a lot of nice stuff. And, And he would tell you that up to that point of his life, his life was mostly about money and stuff, okay? When he began following Jesus, I was at his house maybe three months into it, and we were talking one night, and he says, you know, uh, for years, I don't know how many years, every night in order to go to sleep, I would drink a tall glass of scotch every night for years. I don't know how many years. But he said, lately, since I've been following Jesus I don't drink a tall glass of scotch to go to sleep anymore. I said, man, Marv, you've got my attention. I've got to ask you, why do you think you quit drinking a tall glass of scotch every night to go to sleep? He thought for a minute. He kind of smiled. He shrugged his shoulder and he says, I guess I don't need it anymore. Now think about it. The guy's made a lot of money. He has a lot of nice stuff. But yet all those years, 
He couldn't sleep because he was worried about everything. And now he makes Jesus his master and not money. And all of a sudden, he goes to bed and he sleeps like a baby. The only reason you and I can live generously is because God knows us, loves us, cares about us, knows all about our needs, and He provides for us. And therefore, you and I are free to be generous to others. And so Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about your body, what you're going to wear. Because God knows all about your needs and He's taking care of you. Let me show you those words in the book of Matthew chapter 6. Okay, you want to grab a Bible or a phone or something and go with me to Matthew chapter 6. Now, you've got to realize before I read these words to you that they were spoken to somebody, okay? Many times we want to just kind of extract words out of the Bible and act as if they weren't spoken or written to anyone. But Jesus was clearly talking to a crowd of people because at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it says the crowds were amazed at his teaching. And so he was talking to people who were very poor. And when I think about the poor in the day of Jesus, I'm talking about abject poverty, a hopeless kind of poverty. I remember one day in a small town in Peru, I remember looking at a guy who had no legs and he's laying on a bundle of just rags, filthy rags. The sun is hot. He's sweating profusely. He's laying on this mat and he's holding this little tin cup up as I pass by. Object poverty. I remember spending a week in a village in Guatemala with people who were some of the poorest people I'd ever spent time with in a week there in their little village, just really trying to dig a living out of the dirt. I mean, praying in the next meal. I remember being in a sugar cane camp in Swaziland. Every child there either had on a shirt or shorts, but no child had on both. Stomachs bloated. Malnutrition was evident. Some of the poorest people I've ever been around. And some of the people that Jesus is speaking to are people like that, object poverty. Now, there's other people listening to Jesus as well. People who have saved money, who have been rich. So he's talking to this wide span. So when I think about us reading this, I think about, you know, the poverty in America. There are truly people who say, we have food to eat and, and we have clothes to wear. But we are clearly living way below the, everybody else in our society. And then I think about people in our society who have made money or been given money, but their wants have been much greater than their needs. And so they have this huge debt that overshadows their lives and money is a really sore subject. And when they think about God providing for them, there's a lot of confusion there. And then there's people who have saved money, maybe made a little or made a lot, no matter whichever they've lived within their means and they've saved money. But they're never sure they've saved enough. How much is enough? Because the future is unknown. So do I always have enough is always the fear people live with. So think about this broad audience that Jesus speaks to when he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. It's the first time you'll see the word, but you'll see it five more times in this passage. Do not worry about your life. Anybody said, well, okay, right there, I'm out. I, I worry. I'm a worrier. 
Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? So he gives this illustration. Look at the birds of the air. Jesus is talking. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet our Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? I love this question. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? Why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon who was a very rich king, and all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry. There it is again, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, they run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them then what should I do? And Jesus says, this is what you should do. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Every day has enough trouble of its own. This is God's word for us. You agree? Good. Well, let's talk a little bit about what Jesus is saying to us here, okay? Um, In my mind, there's only uh, three things that you can do with money, okay? Uh, what, what, What are the three things that you can do with money? Help me out a little bit, okay? What can you do with money? You can do what with it? You can spend it. First thing everybody always says is you can spend money. I wonder why we always say that first. Because we're really good at spending money. I'm one of the best people at spending money you'll ever meet. What's the other thing you can do with money? Number two. You can save it. Very good. You can save money. So I do want your participation, but I want you to be uh, respectful as we move along too. So you can spend money. You can save money. There's a third thing that you can do with money. What is that? You can give it away. That's about all you can do with money. You can spend it. You can save it. And you can give it away. Now here's what happens. There's a narrative that we live by because we are so influenced by our society. And here's what the narrative says. The narrative says, this is my money, okay? I earned it, I worked for it, and it's mine. And since it's my money, I can do whatever I want to do with my money. That's the way the world thinks about money. That's just the way we think, okay? This is my money, I earned it, I can do whatever I want to do with my money. Here's what happens when you think that way, all right? If I think to myself... I'm going to give you some money, okay? If I'm thinking about giving you money, then what happens is I say, oh, wait a minute. If I give her this much money to Nevaeh, then I only have this much money left. And we become less generous because this is my money. And if I give Nevaeh part of my money, then that's all the money that I have left. And so what happens is we begin to worry about money. And we become less generous. And it's not the way of the kingdom of God at all. Has anybody noticed that this is an election year? Anybody aware of that? 
Newsflash, we're electing a president next month. Like in weeks away, we're going to elect a president. And so I read something just this week Mike Brooks sent to me that I thought you might be interested in. Okay, so I'll put it on the screen. It was written in 1942 by C.S. Lewis. So he has no political agenda in this particular election, okay? He, he is writing Uncle Screwtape to Dr. Uh, to Dear Wormwood. And, and this is basically the enemy of your soul. And here's what he says to do to believers, to followers of Jesus. Be sure that the patient stays completely fixated on politics. Arguments, political gossip, and obsessing on the faults of people they have never met serves as an excellent distraction from advancing and personal virtue, character, and the things the patient can control. I mean, is anybody kind of smiling right now? Is this awesome or what? 1942, make sure to keep the patient in a constant state of angst and frustration and general disdain toward the rest of the human race in order to avoid any kind of charity or inner peace from further developing. Ensure the patient continues to believe the problem is out there in the broken system rather than recognizing there's a problem with himself. I mean, these are good words. Aren't you glad I shared these words with you? So when you think about the whole thing and you turn on the television, just maybe decide, I don't think I'm going to watch too much more of that today, okay? So do you know what in our election process people use to get you to vote for them? Fear. Fear which turns to worry. And so one candidate says, oh, if you elect this candidate, let me tell you what what all the bad things are that's going to happen to you. And on the other side, they say the same things. No, if you elect this candidate, let me tell you what all the bad things are that are going to happen to you. And so what happens is, in the election process in the United States of America, we say, in order to get our candidate elected, we need to use fear to motivate you to vote. I got an amen in the room. Thank you so much. What do you worry about? Besides the election, what do you worry about? I mean, who in the room would say, you know, I think it's possible to never, ever, ever worry. I mean, many of us have worried about our kids or we've worried about money or we've worried about something at work or we have worried about somebody or we've worried about our health. I mean, it feels to me some days it almost seems impossible for me to live a life that is completely free from worry. I would love to do that. I want to do that. It's my goal to do that. And here's what Jesus says. Hey, Rick, look over there. What do you see? A bird. (laughs) Well, consider the bird. It doesn't sow. It doesn't reap. It doesn't store food away in barns. But God feeds the bird. And if God is feeding the bird, Rick Harvey, don't you think God's going to feed you? Now, every commentary that I read, every commentator that I consulted said something like this. Birds work. They go look for food, but they don't worry. And I thought to myself, how do you know a bird doesn't worry? I've never said to Annette, Annette, see that bird over there? He looks worried to me. I don't know how you would ever know if a bird worries or not. 
But a bird does work. And the point that the commentator is trying to make is that the bird is cautious and concerned. Okay? But God provides. And so there's a big difference in being cautious and being concerned and not worried. If you said to me, I'm not concerned about our nation, I would say, well, I'm concerned about you. Because I think we all should feel concerned about our nation. And I think that we all should be praying about our nation. And I think that we should all be doing what we can responsibly on behalf of our nation. When I get in a car, I'm concerned enough that I put on a seatbelt. But I don't worry the whole time I'm driving that I'm going to wreck and lose my life. Being cautious and being concerned and being wise is one thing. When it crosses over into a worry, this is what Jesus is trying to challenge us with. And he gives another illustration by saying, look at the grass of the field. I mean, look at the flowers. They don't labor or they don't spin and they don't toil but think about it i mean solomon the richest king that we know of to ever live was not even dressed like one of these flowers i mean look what god does for them and if god takes care of the flowers don't you think god's going to take care of you and so there's this other narrative that we begin to live in in the kingdom of god and here's what the other narrative says god loves me knows me. And this money that I've got in my pocket right here, guess what? Guess what? This stuff, it isn't mine. (laughs) Can you believe it? It's not mine. It's actually God's. And what I do is I manage God's money for him. He has made me his steward. And so he is going to take care of me. I'm free to give money away because God is taking care of me. And if I give part of it to Nevaeh, it doesn't mean I have less. It just means God's going to cover for me. And therefore, I can live out the values of the kingdom like generosity. And I can think like Marcus and Sarah LeBaron who says, you know what? We only have this much that God has entrusted us with, but we can share it with hope and we can share it with Abby because God's our provider. We never were. He's always been taking care of us and our life is in hands, in his hands. So therefore, we we can share and we don't have to worry about tomorrow. So let me think with you just for a minute, okay, about Jesus. You got a picture in your mind, don't you, of what Jesus is and what he is like. So for years, I grew up in this small Kentucky town. And on the back wall of our church, there was a picture. And I brought the picture because I wanted you to see it, okay? This is the picture that hung on the back wall of our church. And every Sunday I would come to church as a little boy in this little Kentucky town, and I would sit in church service, and I would look at that picture of Jesus hanging on the wall of our church. So as you're looking at the preacher, right behind him was this picture of Jesus. So that's what I kind of grew up with. So if you asked me, what does Jesus look like, I would have probably tried to describe that picture as a little boy. I brought another picture, and it's one that I like better. The reason I like it better is because I think it's more descriptive of what Jesus was really like. I think that if you hung around Jesus, that's the expression you would have seen more than any other expression. See, what happens is, is we read about the crucifixion, the cross, the garden of Gethsemane, his heartbreak over his people. And we tend to kind of put this image onto Jesus of this very solemn, sad person whose heart was broken all the time. I don't think that's Jesus at all. I think those were only seasons of his life. I think if you had had the 
privilege to hang around with the earthly Jesus, I think you would have laughed a lot. I think you would have loved being around him, not only for the incredible teaching and the life change he would have brought to you, but I think you would have had a really good time. I think Jesus was a person who lived with a lot of peace. I don't think he was biting his nails and batting his eyes, worried to death about the cross that was coming. Yes, he knew it was out there, but it was out there. N.T. Wright says he had a good sense, a good sense of the faithfulness and the love of his father. And it put him at peace. And I think Jesus lived his life with a lot of joy and a lot of happiness and a lot of energy and a lot of fun. And he wants you to live your life the same way. He wants you to live with that kind of peace, a good, healthy sense of a loving Father who's going to take care of you and provide for you and watch over you. And you don't have to worry. (laughs) So, let's think about this stuff for a few minutes, okay? Um, In the Sermon on the Mount, we get to this particular passage And we ask ourselves, if I'm not supposed to worry, then what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And Jesus says, here's what you should do. Why don't you make the principles of the kingdom of God your primary concern? Why don't don't you make generosity and acceptance and love and forgiveness and kindness and gentleness... And hospitality. Why don't you make all of those things the primary concerns of your life? Why don't you say, okay, you know what? I'm finished saying I'm going to get my way no matter what. And why don't you just say, from now on, it's going to be God's way. I'm not living to please myself. I am living to please God. I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And so my life will be filled with acts of righteousness like worshiping together and you know, one-on-one time with God and some kind of small group experience where I can invest in other believers and they invest in me. And I'm going to invest in serving and giving and sharing my faith. That's what my life is going to be about. And as I make my life about those things, God promises me that He will take care of me. I love this stuff. Now, the opposite of that is this. What if, you know what I'm talking about? What if, you know, I mean, what if, you're with me, right? I mean, what if this happens or what if that happens or what if something else happens? I mean, what if, you know, this occurs or what if that occurs? What if tomorrow you wake up and everything changes? And what if, what if, what if, I mean, we live our lives in this what if worry. And Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. I mean, tomorrow has its own problems. You can't live your life in the what-ifs. So, as an adult, somewhere around 10 years ago, I tell people I went through the most difficult season of my adult life. There were two major concerns that I had. And I'm just going to stand here and confess to you that I worried myself sick. I would wake up in the middle of the night. There was no hope of ever going back to sleep. I would lay and I would worry and I would worry. And I'm a pastor. I'm leading a church. I'm on Sunday morning telling people not to worry. And I'm worried myself sick. 
And finally, through principles of Scripture, I developed a little pattern. I didn't read it in a book. I was trying to survive. I was just trying to get by. And I said, okay, from now on, there's three steps that I'm going to take when I'm tempted to worry. And I remember many times laying in bed, and I would take those three steps. Step number one, you might want to write them down. They might help you. I've shared them over the years with different people, and people have called me and said, I did the three things, and it's really helping Not long ago, my daughter, Britt, called me. She said, Dad, you know, I was really concerned about this. I did the three things. It really helped a ton. I make myself put it in a single sentence. Number one, put your worry in a single sentence. Make yourself say what it is that's worrying you, okay? If it's not, it's like a thousand things. It's like unidentifiable. There's a whole lot out there that's got me bothered and concerned. No, 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 no. There's something bothering you. Put it in a sentence. Call it what it is. Say what it is. Write it down if you have to. But just in your heart and your mind, say, okay, I am worried about, and just say it out loud. Put it out there. This is what it is. Get it in a single sentence. Once you've gotten it in a single sentence, that may be helpful in its own sense, okay? Now, it's not a thousand things. It's really this thing. This is what it is. Put it in a single sentence. Number two, ask yourself this question. Is there anything I could or should do about this? And there have been times in my life when I've asked that question, okay, this is what I'm worried about, so is there anything I could or should do? And many times I've had to say there's nothing I can do. Not a thing in the world I can do. It's out of my hands completely. When it comes to the election, about the only thing I can do at this point is go vote. That's about it. Okay? Anything I could or should do. And many times I've had this to myself, there's nothing I can do. Or I've said to myself, I can do this, but I can't do it at 3 in the morning. I will do it tomorrow. And the third step, the third thing that I do is I just pray a prayer of release. Okay, Lord, it is not your desire for me to worry. Your own son Jesus said, do not worry. And so I now release this to you and I close my eyes to go to sleep. It's yours. It's in your hands. You're taking care of me. I remember having this uh, pastor come and preach at my church once. He was, he was one of the shortest men I ever knew. He was only about 5'3". He was, he was short for a guy. And, uh, and I remember him saying, um, you know, when I was young, I wanted to be a state trooper. And so I had two goals in life. I wanted to be six feet tall, and I wanted to weigh 200 pounds. And he said, I have achieved one of those goals. Well, why didn't he get taller? Don't you think he was worried about that? Yes. Because you can't add any height to yourself by worrying. Jesus says it's like this. Who among you can add a single hour to your life by worrying? Rick, I'm just afraid I'm going to die. Well, your greatest fear is going to become reality. I promise you one day you're going to die. But you cannot change the day you die by worrying. Okay? And what Jesus is really saying when he says these words is simply this. Worrying is futile. Worrying never helps. Worrying doesn't make anything any better. Worrying never moves you forward down the field. Worrying never advances your cause. Worrying never helps anything. It is always futile. The fact of the matter is, worrying often makes life worse. It takes the joy out of your life. It can make you physically ill, sick. (laughs) 
It can make your day harder, but worrying can never make your day better. So Jesus says, whatever you do, don't worry. But have a good sense that the Father knows you, loves you, watching out for you, providing for you. Do not worry. And live with the principles of the kingdom of God in front of you. So let me just talk to you from my heart for a minute. We're in a unique time in the state of Oklahoma because of our dependence on oil and gas. I was talking to my friend Jeffrey, who is the district superintendent in South Texas, and he oversees about 80 churches in South Texas. And he said, um, we are much more dependent on oil and gas in South Texas, obviously, than you are in Oklahoma. But he said, we do not have a church in South Texas that is not in a serious financial strain. And so we felt the impact of it here, directly related to oil and gas stuff. And so we begin to realize early on in the year, wow, money is not being given like it has been given. And we begin to understand what it was directly connected to. And so what we did was we said, are we worried? No. Are we cautious? Yes. Are we concerned? We should be concerned. And so we begin to freeze money. We begin to say, okay, we would really love to spend this money to do this. We think it's a good idea. But we think we ought to freeze this money right here and we shouldn't spend this money until we see how money comes in. We got on in the middle of the year and we said, we think we better freeze a little more money than we thought. And then in the last few weeks, we have frozen some more money and said, we can't spend this money that we have budgeted to spend because we think we should be concerned. So if you ask me, hey, Rick, do you lay in bed at night and worry about the giving? No, I don't lay in bed and worry about anything, I'll be honest with you. In fact, when I go to bed, I go to sleep within about three minutes. Life is good. You know what I'm saying? Am I concerned? Am I cautious? Yes. I would be a fool not to be. So that's why we're working hard to do that. And I know that by sharing with you today, there's some of you who say, Rick, we faithfully give in our offerings and our tithes to this church. But we can give more. If the church is in this position, we can help out. And I know many of you will. And so that's why I'm making you aware of it today. Just saying this is where we are. And so as we move toward the end of the year, we would love for you to give beyond if you're able to do that. And some of you have begun giving, I know. You've been sharing your hearts with me saying, Rick, I wasn't giving. I began giving. I'm beginning to live more generously and it's changing me. It's making me less greedy. So let me close with these words, okay? You ready? Do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Pagans, people who don't know God, they run after these things. But your heavenly Father already knows what you need. And the only reason we can live generously is because we know that none of this is ours anyway. It's all God's. We manage it. And we can live generously because we know that God takes care of us. Amen? So it's not often that I do this, but I'm going to do this today. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I just feel like that we're probably, we're probably in a good place to say we can leave now, okay? So let me just bless you with these words. The love of God 
and the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.